when our stress part of the brain is active, the prefrontal cortex, which is the part involved in our emotional regulation, our planning, our decision making, mm. is less active, which is why when we're stressed, we get more emotional, we react, we say things we don't mean. Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions, and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts, and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have a doctor Rebecca Williams on the show. Uh, good morning to you, Rebecca. Good morning. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you on the show today. Uh, you've been a GP for over 20 years and through your experience of working with many patients who are struggling with either physical or mental health consequence of stress, have gained obviously valuable insights in how to help people in a practical way, which inspired you by your clinical work and driven by your desire to educate, empower and equip people uh, set up your own business, uh, William Stress Management, in 2018. And funny enough, we will be exploring today uh, about stress and how to proactively uh, manage it uh, and in the context of the workplace. So, uh, so good morning to you again, uh, Rebecca. And before we get into talking about stress, I'd like to just ask about what do you love about what you do? I suppose I went into medicine because I love people. I love hearing people's stories and what they're doing. And also I love helping people, the fairly classic reason for people to want to be a doctor. Um, and the thing I love about working with stress is it's it's about trying to help people understand themselves. And then, as I've said, trying to empower them and equip them so that you know they know what they can do to look after themselves. So it's not me just fixing them. It's a team effort and you're sending people away feeling more confident about how they can manage their lives rather than having to come back to the doctor to get more medication or get signed off work. Although obviously these things do happen sometimes. Yeah, and I like the, that, that, that empowerment because I think sometimes and perhaps it's a, an old view on, on, on working with doctors or going to the doctors where the doctor just fixes them, so to speak. <laughs> uh, but actually empowering people uh, is making them take their own decisions and helping themselves Obviously, we need doctors at certain points, but I quite like that empowering approach to what you're doing. And I, pre I appreciate perhaps you you like that as a GP in terms of your approach. Yes, and that's the thing, I think. And that's what's becoming harder and harder in, in, um, in the NHS now. People come at a point of desperation and want a quick fix. So um, I still do, take, you know, I try and take the time with people. Um, and in general practice, I would do that. And I'm afraid I was often running late in my surgeries because I didn't want to just hand out a sick note or uh, get a prescription. I wanted to take the time to help them understand what was going on, why they had these symptoms and what they could do to help themselves. And that's what I found so rewarding, in fact. And that's what mm. led me to realise that my passion in general practice was working with stress and ultimately led me to set up my own business. Because empowering people, it, it does take time because when you have an empowering uh, approach to leadership, the initial engagement of that takes a bit of time to work it through and also the element of risk in the context of, of, of sort of leadership. Uh, so I can see why you supposedly spent a bit more time wanting to help people and help them to equip them. And so you, you made this shift into more stress management. Um, and it'd just be good to go back to that moment when you realise, actually, this is what I want to do and I want to set up my own company and help people with stress what 
talk us through that sort of well it's been going on for a while that thought I think I probably for years actually I'd thought you know what I really love this part of general practice but I didn't really have the courage to leave general practice I had I was in my comfort zone as is often the Mm -hmm. case and it all seemed rather daunting and then things changed in the practice that I was working in and it was kind of a now or never situation and I, I grabbed the bull by the horns and thought right now this is when I should start doing this um, and it's been a very steep learning curve because having come from the NHS where you don't charge your patients you know you give them what they need however much time they need or attention that they need you give it to them you don't have to calculate um, how much they owe you for that so um, it's been a learning curve um, and just learning how I fit into the the business of stress and mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people out there offering well-being advice and stress advice and working out what my USP is and I think my USP is my general practice experience I've lived helping people with stress I have seen a multitude of variations in how people can present with the harm caused by stress Mm. Um, and often they come to me in crisis so often wanting time off work wanting medication they've been sent by a line manager or a friend or a family member Um, and and often when people are in that state of crisis it's hard for them to disentangle and work Mm. out what's going on so often you do have to initially help them just have that time to just rest and then you give them the work to do to try and help them understand what's going on and how they can prevent it happening again. And I had a lovely case, actually, of a lady who came to me with panic attacks, really bad panic attacks. Um, and in fact, I did have to sign her off work because she could barely get into the car without having panic attacks. And then we we disentangled things and realised that she she was a mother of three had a husband. She was a carer by profession, so she was always giving to clients. She was also looking after her two nephews whose mother, her sister, had died and looking out for her mother. So she was very busy giving to everybody and she'd reached the point where she had nothing left. So I helped her to understand that and to help to understand boundaries, help to understand how to manage her symptoms of panic. Um, and over the next few months, she she managed to manage herself. And in fact, I didn't then see her um, for well, several years. And when she did come back, it was because something else big had happened in her life and she kind of um, wobbled a bit. But she told me, she said, you know, I've been able to manage myself because I recognise when I'm getting symptoms. I recognise when I'm running out of steam. I put in more boundaries. So that was so rewarding because that's ultimately what I want to achieve with people is is help them to understand what they need to do to look after themselves. So so it's interesting you let's let's disentangle that whole thing called stress you talked about with with that client uh, or that patient I should say because um, I think people have an understanding or think they have an understanding of what stress might be we've all I guess been stressed at some point mm-hmm. you might even be stressed right now listening to this podcast <laughs> who knows um so just I don't want I suppose I don't want a clinical definition because that feels a bit too um mm-hmm. clinical and a bit sort of black and white but from your own experience and not just from general practice but also from what you've been doing uh, recently um what is stress and 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 how can we sort of i guess identify if we're stressed so it's funny stress is a really small word as you say is used a massive amount but actually it's it's complicated so let's go back to basics um the the acute stress reaction or known as the fright fight flee uh, freeze um reaction is an evolutionary adaptation that enables us to respond to a life-threatening situation with increased alertness, strength and speed. So when, when we experience a situation where we feel fear, that's registered in a part of our brain called the amygdala that recognises this as a danger and then sets in motion a whole series of changes within the body, which includes activation of some systems like your heart rate going up, your breathing rate going up 
Um, your muscles becoming more tense and toned so that they become stronger. Um, your senses becoming more alert, so you're more find it even easier to more sensitive to hearing and seeing. Um, and it includes suppression of other systems that aren't needed in that acute situation, like the immune system, like the gut, the sexual and reproductive health system. So, um, so that then enables the person to be stronger, to be faster, to be more aware of what's going on. They escape, they fight, whatever's necessary. The life-threatening situation goes and they, everything reverts back to its normal state. That is an acute stress reaction. In chronic stress, what is happening is fear, effectively fear, is felt in the same part of the brain. And it activates and suppresses similar mechanisms within the body, but for a long period of time. So it's no surprise, therefore, that over a long period of time, chronic stress affects our physical health. And because it also affects processes within the brain, it affects our mental health. So that gives you an idea of what's going on with stress. Stress is defined as the mental, physical and or emotional response to situations and or events that results in tension in the mind, the body and the spirit or your emotions. And the way I look at it is that stressors, the things that make us feel stressed, are essentially the things that make us feel anxious or worried, under too much pressure, or both. And we have to remember that um, stressors are cumulative. So the more you have that are going on, the more mm. likely you are to experience the harm of stress. Um, obviously, some can be really dramatic, it might just take one, but if it's the death of someone close to you, then obviously, that's massive. And the other thing about pressure, which is really important, is that some people find pressure stressful. Others thrive under pressure. They're energized by pressure, mm. motivated by pressure. But wherever you are on that spectrum, there will be a point at which that pressure becomes stressful. So a classic example would be the doctors and nurses in ICU during the pandemic. They are used to high pressurized environments, but the pressure that they were dealing with was too much for many. And they ended up leaving their jobs or, be, or being burnt out. So, so stress, in terms of helping people understand what stress means, it's about helping them have a strategy, really. So it's about helping them understand what is making them feel stressed, to helping them have some awareness of what's making them feel anxious or worried, what's making them feel under too much pressure, um, and then helping them to recognize how stress is affecting them, thinking mm -hmm. about is it affecting how they're thinking, their physical health, their emotional health, and also coping behaviours. And that's something we may have come on to anyway, but I just want to touch on unhealthy coping behaviours because they can be a guide as to your levels of stress. So um, we probably all know them, but the common one's smoking. And I've come across many patients who I've asked them, have they, have they tried to give up smoking? They say, well, um, I actually did give up, but I, had, I restarted 10 years later because I had a really stressful period in my life. Mm -hmm. Or no, I can't think about giving up right now because life's too stressful. And we know, I'm sure, the harm smoking can cause. Um, caffeine, another very common one, especially for people who are maybe not sleeping very well. Mm -hmm. They resort to using caffeine to keep them awake during the day. Um, caffeine is a stimulant. It therefore increases your risk of palpitations and panic attacks and also um mental stimulation when you're maybe trying to get to sleep and also making you wee more, which can lead to a level of dehydration sometimes in some people if they have too much. Sugary, fatty foods, very, very common. And I spoke to someone just yesterday who through COVID, through the lockdowns, had put on two stone um, because that was her stress response and she acknowledged it. Um, we know that sugary, fatty foods increase the risk of weight gain and diabetes. Also, a lesser well-known condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is when fat gets deposited in the liver. 
Mm. And cause the same damage that alcohol can cause, um, which then takes us on to alcohol. Um, alcohol is used in stress in a variety of ways. Some people use it to help them get to sleep at night. But although it might help, it doesn't give good quality sleep. Some people use it um, as a way of calming their nerves. Say, for instance, doing a talk or something like that, they feel like they start taking alcohol. You didn't have a drink before this, Daniel. I Rebecca. did not have a drink. I promise you, just <laughs> <the> water. <laughs> um, some people use it at the end of a very stressful day, which, of course, if every day becomes stressful, that becomes mm. a habit. And alcohol is one I feel very passionate about, actually, because I had a patient who I knew in his 50s as, a, as an alcoholic um, with cirrhosis. And I asked him how it all started. And he said he was in his 30s, married with a family, a good job. He was promoted and had to give presentations. And he found it so nerve wracking that he mm. found a glass of drink, calmed his nerves. That's how it all began. He became addicted. Mm. His marriage broke up. He lost his house, lost his job. And he actually died in his early 50s from cirrhosis. So that really mm. shocked me mm. that that was a, a coping behavior that destroyed his life. So um, and then we have patients coming for asking saying, can I have something to help me sleep, doctor, something to help me relax, doctor. They want a tablet. And again, I will give a, a long chat, maybe not what they came for, about trying to find non-medical medical ways of, of managing mm. those problems. And then there's the simple things people don't think about as unhealthy stress relievers, and that's things like um, spending lots of money. Um, and I know someone who in in lockdown realized she was getting into debt on amazon because pressing the button all retail, these... retail therapy isn't it yeah, yes exactly those exactly. endorphins kicking when you exactly you feel great. all the happy hormones makes them feel good in the moment but then actually yeah. accrues harm uh, down the line so yes yeah, shopping social media as well people can yeah. be addicted to social media so yeah so that's another thing i can help people just become more aware of their unhealthy mm. coping behaviors and that that can help them um look at why they're doing those things and what could mm. they do instead so just just going back to the the bit where you talked about how um, I guess fear is the sort of the driver uh, as the start of it, but also I suppose understanding what that fear is and how do we I suppose manage that and 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 is it is it such a fear response? Do people aware of it that it's a fear response? Um, I don't think they are necessarily aware of the fear response. The trouble is because they probably if we think of fear and then take it back, if you think about worrying. They might, um, but it's the part of the brain that recognises fear, and that's obviously worry is effectively a fear, isn't it? If we worry about whether mm. we'll do well in our exams or our children are going to do well in their exams, we're worrying about their future and whether their future might be harmed by them not doing well. Mm. If we, um, you know, ultimately worry and fear are very related. The trouble is, when our stress part of the brain is active. The prefrontal cortex, which is the part involved in our emotional regulation, our planning, our decision making, mm. is less active, which is why when we're stressed, we get more emotional, we react, we say things we don't mean. And it's only when we calm down, we can actually reflect on what we said, maybe say sorry um, mm. and things. So the more people are in that stress response the less they are able to function. And that is really important from the work point of view, because if people mm. are in a chronically stressed state, they are more distracted, less able to concentrate, more prone to memory lapses. That may then lead to more anxiety because I think, oh my goodness, did I did I do that? Constantly having to check up on themselves, mm. worrying if they've done things right. Um, and then they lose confidence and then that creates more fear and it's like a spiral. So it has a massive impact mm. on the workplace stress. Um, and, uh, I mean, obviously, we'll come to in a moment. I'd like to understand, 
obviously some proactive ways of how we can manage our, our own stress. But before we get there, if you're in the workplace and, and you're a leader uh, of an, an organization and you've got, well, firstly, how do we spot almost the obvious question sometimes, but it's not so obvious, I don't think sometimes. How do we recognize that somebody might be stressed? And what should we look for when you're looking, observing, obviously? And how do we go about, I suppose, engaging with that and perhaps helping them with that? What sort of things would you advise with that? Yeah, the recognising stress is a tricky one, especially with a lot of people working from home now. Um, Mm. I think that's definitely an advantage of an office environment where you get to know the person. If you're someone as a leader who is proactive in getting to know your staff or you know that your management level are very good at knowing their teams and then you as a leader know your management, there's a sense of people being known within the company. Then you will start to recognise if there's a change. So if someone starts coming in late, if someone just doesn't seem to be meeting deadlines, if someone seems to be isolating themselves a bit more from their colleagues and maybe not engaging in in, in, in talking, um, if someone's just, um, yeah, just sort of more hiding away, um, obviously you might notice them looking a bit more disheveled, not taking as much care about their appearance Mm. um, or working really, really, really late as if they're really struggling to keep on top of things. So, yes, I think it's a change. If you notice a change, um, if someone just appears a bit more emotional maybe or is short-tempered, is snapping at colleagues, which isn't normal Mm. for them. So a lot of changes just in behaviour and in their ability to to do their work. Um, And I think in terms of what you can do, I think it starts before people have problems, and that is creating an environment where people feel able to come and say, Mm. I'm struggling. So creating an environment where people, staff feel um, appreciated, feel like they, they are cared about um, and that people notice them and know who they are. Um, and it's made very clear that if they're struggling, that, that, that there is someone that they should go and talk to somebody. And it's better to recognise it early on and to put a plan into action than to wait until it's a crisis and they come in with a letter saying they're signed off work for several weeks. Um, so um, it's also, I suppose, if you're someone looking at the fit notes, it's seeing what what they're off with. Because, again, from the GP perspective, sometimes patients don't want stress put on their line. So they might just have the symptom like the headache or the abdominal pain, um, with okay. a whole host of different symptoms. So, again, just being aware that fit notes may underestimate the, the stress issue. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, there's there's general things in the workplace that you want to do to create a, a, a lesser stressed environment. So things like, and again, I, every business is different and some things are possible, some aren't. But I think where possible, we've found with COVID that flexibility benefits many people, especially people juggling children or public transport. Um, so if you've got someone who's got a, a child and, and trying to get them off to school, they've got into that habit during working mm. from home. If they're now back in the office, can you allow some flexible time? And as long as they get their work done, you're not too strict about clocking in and clocking mm. off. If you've got an individual who has a health issue, who doesn't want to be using public transport at really busy times of day, again, be flexible. Could they do some days from home? Mm. Um, I think it's really important that people are encouraged to take time off at lunch and not to be eating on the job really important to have a natural break then um, and also that they're not encouraged to work late at night. Now I get it that some individuals want to be able to work at night because that's the best time for them to have a peaceful environment and and have a clear brain, fair enough, but it shouldn't be the expectation because if people want to get a good night's sleep they've got to be allowed to have a break of an hour or two before they go to bed just Mm -hmm. to clear their heads. Um, 
So, so, the, so, the, so the environment is is really key, isn't it, in terms of yeah. in, in creating an environment that is, I call it like psychologically safe, where few people feel yeah. they can, a, yeah. say things if they're struggling uh, and not feel they're going to be, you know, sacked for it or whatever. Yeah. Um, they can be they can be challenged as well, uh, yeah. but also they they feel valued, and yeah. it's creating that. I've been talking a lot recently, a lot more about this sort of community. So people who feel part of a community rather than it's all about, well, this is my workplace. Actually, if your workplace is like a community, then you get, you get friendships, you get relationships. It's more social. Um, not that you're best friends with everybody. And it's making sure you've got those dialogue of, of conversations that you can talk to your manager or he can talk to you and get along and say, oh, you, you seem a little bit overwhelmed with this. Is there anything I can help you with? How can I support you? Without that feeling of, oh no, I've got to be brave, I've got to be great, otherwise I'm going to lose my job. Actually, I can show a little bit of vulnerability and a bit of weakness, but vulnerability is yeah. a better word, isn't it? Yes, it's important, isn't it? absolutely. I think that's really important. And again, that's why if, if 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 managers can get to know their teams as people, then it, they will have a relationship where someone will feel safe to say something. Because if you imagine, as a manager, if you say to a member of staff, um, you know, I've noticed that you're you're running a little bit late with deadlines. Um, you know, are you okay? There's two ways a member of staff can take that. One is, oh my goodness, I'm not doing my job properly. They're going to sack me. And they're checking up on me and they're pointing out that I'm rubbish and I'm not doing it properly. Or it may be that they will feel that person cares and I'm going to be honest and tell them what's going on. And that will depend upon how they are feel that they are perceived within that community. As you say, if they know it's a caring environment and they can trust that their manager is saying it because they care, that is very different from feeling checked up upon um, mm. uh, with the potential of, of, of a problem ahead. So I think you're right, relationship is key. And the other thing, you see, one of my big things is that there's a lot of talk about crisis support now um, in business. Mental health first aid is really up there right now, um, mm. counselling. Um, and, and actually, what I, I feel that's after the horse has bolted. And I suppose mm. what I'm standing for is actually education. And I think um, a good... It shouldn't all be about the employer. The employer certainly has a very important role to play in providing mm. the kind of things we've talked about. But we have to remember that stress isn't just about the workplace. It's about someone's whole life. It's holistic. Mm. It's um, And therefore, I think the employer owes it to themselves and to the staff to educate their staff on stress and understanding stress in themselves and what they can do. And mm. I suppose that's where... I come in. That's my passion is actually educating people, educating staff. Um, that's where my mm. webinar is helpful because it's a way of, of an employer educating their staff on, mm. on personal responsibility in a positive way, not saying, mm. you know, you've got to do this um, and sort yourself out. It's basically saying we recognise that stress isn't just about the workplace. It's a lot of factors, cost of living at the moment, relationship pressures, financial, you know, so many other mm. things. We're going to give you a, a way, a, a bit of a, a, some advice or some learning on how mm. you can start to recognise how stress affects you as an individual and what you can do. Mm. And we will be supporting you this end um, with the things that we've just mm. discussed. Um, and if those two things are in synergy, then I think you can have a really positive impact on the working mm. environment of your staff and the well-being of your staff. I think you made a valid point there. It, 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 a, it's not just about the workplace. Uh, it, it, our, our lives, our workplace is affected by our personal life and vice versa. Mm -hmm. It's work, as I say, it's, it's holistic. And, and and those employees that not only have great environments of, of, of people feel valued and communities and safety and everything else and, you know, leaders who role model and happily share things, which is another way of impacting, but actually investing in your staff 
in terms of the educational piece, uh, I think is vital. And just coming on to that, it just we've got we've got well, some five to ten minutes left to go. Um, what sort of things as a as an employee can I do to help manage my own um, stress levels? A for the awareness of it, uh, and also what what sort of I suppose tactics would I employ? Yeah, uh, I, guess, I mean, I could talk all day. You you could do hours of this, but I'm just talking. <laughs> if people here listening now and thinking I'm feeling a little bit anxious, feeling a bit stressed for whatever reason, what two or three things could they embrace to where they're feeling powered? Mm-hmm to go and try and manage it themselves well my top tip is something called the serenity prayer which i use a lot with clients patients i've used it with um for those who don't know it i'm sure you'll recognize it when i say it um it's grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference a lot of stress is about overwhelm And a lot of that can be about the things actually we can't do anything about, say, you know, cost of living crisis, Ukraine, things like that, and all sorts of other stuff going on. So the serenity prayer, basically, and what I say to my clients is write a list of all the things that are making you feel stressed. So all the things that are making you feel anxious, worried, under pressure, write a list. Then bearing the serenity prayer in mind, look through that list and circle, circle the things that you feel you're in a position to do something about. So, um, You know, it may be that you're feeling a bit distance from your your partner. You may think, right, I need to spend some time with my partner reconnecting. And and likewise, there may be something with your children you you can action. It may be that you're short of money. Are there things you can cut back on? So we all feel better when we feel a bit more in control. And this is a really good way to help you feel a bit more in control and identify what your issues are and make a plan. Given that we also do feel better when when we're feeling more in control, do things um, that you enjoy doing that actually help you feel like you've achieved something. Um, Mm. So set yourself little goals, whether it's with if you play a musical instrument, give yourself some time to go and play some music on the piano that you can play and makes you feel good. Um, Go and plant some flowers in the garden. I mean, in lockdown, people were doing all sorts of things that actually just help them feel a bit more in control when the world Mm. felt very out of control. So that's really important. Regarding those things that you can't do anything about, then it's about trying to improve your resilience so you're better able to cope with those things that you can't do anything about. And that is about nurturing your mental, physical and emotional health, which, as you say, I don't, I don't have time to go into in great detail, but I'll just talk about a few things. So um, in terms of your um, mind, one thing I would advise people is to be very careful about what they are reading and talking about it's incredibly easy on social media, on news channels to get caught into stories that actually make us feel quite sad or anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why we are, but we often are drawn to those stories. So think about what are you reading? Is it from a reputable source? Is it helpful? Is it necessary that you need to read it if it's not helpful to you? Um, and maybe you can try and read more stories that make you feel more hopeful and positive about humankind and the goodness <laughs> of humankind. Um there's a Russian chap today who's just auctioned his um, Nobel Prize uh, medal and it's raised hundreds of millions of pounds for refugees. That's wow. someone who's taken something he can do to help when his country's gone to war with another nation. So, that, yeah, that's, you know, that's a nice story to hear. That's a lovely story, isn't it? Isn't I know, it? it really cheered me up when I heard that this yes. morning. <laughs> um, so, um, yes, and then the, when you're talking to people, again, the temptation is to moan, moan, moan about this and that and that. And you both come off the conversation feeling quite negative. So, yes, have your offload, but then make a real effort to focus on some feel good things, something you've read, something you've seen, something mm. you've done. Um, like I've just said, something positive um, mm. that can help you. feel. Oh, that, that, you know, there is hope. We, it is, you know, come away feeling more positive. So that's really mm. important. Contro- controlling your or sort of protecting your mind. Um 
And then then when it comes to um, our anxious thinking patterns, which are often underlying our, our stress, um, it's about recognizing them. And then when you've recognized them, don't let don't let them grow arms and legs. So if you have a thought of, oh, I'm rubbish at my job, um, actually just stop there and say, well, you know, I'm not going to allow those thoughts to, to linger in my head. So that's where you can use a happy place. You might use a mindfulness, mindful mm. technique, which are really good and worth looking up all about bringing your thoughts to the moment, not worrying about the future or the past, and also challenging your thoughts, thinking, well, why am I saying that, actually? Mm. Um, I'm saying that because I'm feeling a bit miserable and down about myself, but actually I've never had a complaint. Work, I've always been very positive about what I've done. Mm. You know, so actually don't, don't, don't let negative or anxious thinking patterns linger in your mind. You must take control of those thoughts. Mm. Uh, when it comes to your body, um, Think about what you're eating when you're eating. Don't don't just snack on unhealthy things throughout the day. Don't have massive meals late at night. Drink plenty of water. Minimize caffeine and alcohol. Um, think about your uh, exercise. The NHS recommends two and a half hours a week of moderate exercise. So think, how can I get exercise in and what can I do? Something that I enjoy doing. Um, and it certainly helped in the summer, isn't it, with the longer days? Mm. Um Think about relaxation. So important. You must have time in the day, which is your downtime, especially in the lead up to going to bed. Um, and then sleep advice. Um, I, I think I don't really have time to go into great sleep advice. But another thing for physical health is breathing. There's a lot of evidence that stress is associated with unhealthy breathing, which is shallow, mm. fast breathing as opposed mm. to long, slow. So simple breathing exercise is just to breathe in for six through your nose and then out through your mouth for eight. Um, and even if you're just feeling a bit anxious, if you just do a few of those breaths in the moment, that will help you calm down. Mm. So it's, it's particularly a slow out breath or just generally slow your breathing down. Try and aim for between six to 10 breaths an hour, um, I know, <laughs> a minute, um, uh, rather than what often becomes a sort of 10 to 20. Um, mm. uh, and think about things like there's box breathing, which people can look up if they want, and diaphragmatic breathing. Diaphragmatic breathing is when you stick your tummy out when you breathe. And we know that that actually brings the calm calm to the body and reduces blood pressure and heart rate. So and then emotions, your your emotions is all about doing things that um, make you feel good, positive, give you joy. So I'd really recommend that you try and find time in your day to do things that give you make you feel recharged. And mm. um, so really, I think particularly when times are tough, it's really important that you do prioritize these things and don't think I've just got to keep working till I get the jobs done. Because actually, if you prioritize these things, you'll be far more efficient at your work and more productive. Mm. Um, and you will also be looking after yourself. Um, well, so, Rebecca, the, there is tons you just packed in there in the last three or four <laughs> minutes of um, helpful. That. I particularly like the serenity prayer. I think that really what struck it with me with that is that it, it, it forces you to get to your prefrontal cortex. It forces you to be yes, logical. Absolutely. Because you're writing a list. You can't now help be, be logical because you're writing a list of things that, that's yeah. stressing me. All, and and then going back to the, what I can control, you, you're just going to that logic brain. And I think, to me, that's pretty pretty powerful, really, in terms of yeah. helping people just to stop. I mean, just, just I mean, I've not heard of that serenity prayer. I don't know why, but... I found that really helpful that actually just to write down what's stressing you what, and then circling things that you're in control of. Because often, as we know, stress, anger, frustration is because we can't control a person or a situation. Yeah. That's the driver of it, isn't it? And, yeah. and then that, that just spirals the whole stress response with it. Um, 
and 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 then the whole negative thoughts there because I think inherently we we have a negative bias as humans. Yeah. We are neg- inherently negative. Funny, yeah. <laughs> um, and also that chitter chatter in your brain because that's another thing. I, I as a coach, I talk to a lot of my clients about what what you say in your narratives in your head, mm. and and obviously we have this thing confirmation bias where you have a narrative. I'm not very good at my job. And therefore you keep telling you that and you'll be looking for areas of yeah. where you're not, you're confirming. Oh yeah. I'm not very good at that. I'm not <laughs> very good at that. And for, you know, you are down in the doldrums of, I'm mm. not very good. And you won't be good at your job because you're literally telling yourself yeah. not to be. Um, it's yeah. been great talking to you, Rebecca. It's been yes. brilliant to understand and feel your, your passion for helping people to manage their stress in a proactive way, uh, whether that's individually, but also for uh, organizations as well. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And um, if people want to connect with you, get in touch with you, perhaps they want to have webinars, one-to-ones with you uh, in terms of in their organizations, how might they do that? Uh, well, my website um, is williamsstressmanagement.co.uk. Um, that has a, an inquiry form if people want to fill it out. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, it's under William Stress Management. Um, that's where you'd find it. And I I can give an email. I don't know. Is that enough information? There's a contact form from the website. That's probably enough. Yeah, well, I'll put all the details in the show notes yeah. as well so people can get in touch with you. Uh, and it might just be worth, before we finish, just mentioning my little book. Like, is that all right? Jean, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, go yeah, for so, it. So I have, based on the handout I used to give my patients, I have written a little book that's available on Amazon um, called Dealing with Stress, the Mind-Body-Spirit Way. It covers a lot of what we've just talked about today, um, and it has the serenity prayer written in it, um, and it also has room for reflection. So again, it encourages people to reflect on their own situations, um, mm. and and they can annotate it, personalise it, and it's quite a useful reference tool. So that's available on Amazon. Um, I can I don't know. Would you want me to send the link to you, Julian, or what's? Yes, yeah, send the link to me, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Uh, that'd be that's great. Thank Brilliant. you. Well, that, that's you. great. Well, well, thank you for today. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for your energy and your passion. It's uh, been lovely. Thank spirit. you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.